an announcement a few minutes ago I shared with you about a conversation, right, about the guy who said the difference between the yeah, sure, and the wholehearted yes. Well, that conversation was really when I called Todd Craig to come and preach for us this morning, and um, he said he didn't want to give me a yeah, sure, he wanted to give me a wholehearted yes, and so he sat on it for a day and called back and said he was all in. And so we're excited that Todd's going to be sharing with us today. And um, if you don't know Todd, he is just a wonderful leader here in our church and in our community. Um, He and his family moved here from Tulsa, Oklahoma a couple years ago, and um, they have dove all into this place. Um, Todd is preaching this morning, but he also serves on staff at Lighthouse Family Retreat. Um, his, If you were here at one of the services today, his wife possibly met you at the door. If you've watched it, is a greeter. If you watched online, their son Ethan is back there helping us run the live stream. Their other son is in the Bridge Youth Ministry, and their other son is involved in our kids' ministry. So you may not have even known it, but you have crossed the Craigs in this place, all right? And his mom's even here in worship with us over here today, too. So whole crew, they're all in, and we're so thankful to have them as a part of our church family here at Good News and just so thankful for him. And so he's going to come share as we close out this Churches That Heal service this morning. And would you all welcome Todd up with us this morning. All right, good morning. It is great to be here. And hey, I know how this works. You all walked in this morning and you're like, oh, it's the backup preacher. I, I get it. I know how that works. But I will remind you, if any of you sat in front of the TV screen yesterday, Backups are having a really good weekend. So if you were an OU fan, boomer sooner, right? The backup came in, like overcame a great deficit to beat Texas. And if you're any kind of fan other than an Alabama fan, you were really excited to see the Texas A&M backup beat Alabama, which I love because not only did Alabama get beat, but they got beat by a backup. So I love it. It's so good. So hopefully I can continue uh, that trend this morning. I also am so excited because I have loved this sermon series that Brad has preached the last uh, four weeks. And there are so many like deep and rich truths that we've journeyed through and walked through together over the past four weeks. So whether you've been here on Sunday morning or you've been a part of the Churches That Heals groups on Wednesday nights, there's just so much rich content and honestly just transformational truth in what we've been hearing. Now, I want to just say this real quick, because as a preacher, I have people come up to me all the time and say, I don't know how you stand up on stage and preach, Um, especially when you're doing it like Brad does week after week after week. I could never do that. And anytime I hear that, I always think, you know what? Preaching's really kind of the easy part. The hard part is living out the things that we are, that we're preaching about, not just for you, but for us too. Like we're in it with you. We're trying to figure this, this life thing out as well. And so I also know because I've sat where you're sitting that it's so easy. You come in on Sunday mornings and we sing the songs and we're reminded of truths and we hear from God's word and reminded of truths there. And then like Monday morning happens and life just sets in and we forget everything that we've just heard. I will tell you, even as a preacher, I will preach a sermon and like four days later, somebody will ask me a question about the sermon. I'm like, I don't, like, I don't remember. It's, it's hard. Like living this stuff out is the hard part. So this content's been so rich and been so important. And I know how like things can come in and out of our brains that I think it's worthwhile for us to just recap, especially for those of you that haven't been here, like some of the truths that we've talked about over the last four weeks. So all of this has been a part of a sermon series called Churches That Heal. But since we're all part of the church, we are the church, like there's healing that needs to take place in us as well. 
And so that first week, one of the truths that we talked about is that all of us, uh, all of us are broken. All of us have been, uh, been in pain. All of us have some sort of emotional pain that we have to deal with. Like that was the first truth. And tied with that is that we shouldn't try to overcome or work through those emotional pains or those emotional problems without three components. And those components are truth, grace, and time. We shouldn't work through emotional problems without growth, or, I'm sorry, without, um, without truth, without, uh, I'm so sorry, without truth, grace, and without time. And for me, time is like, was the most important part for me. Like I, I've, when I realized like the, the things that I have to work through, the challenges that I have to work through, I just want to get through them. And reminded that like all of these things take time. The second is that if we're, as we're working through our emotional problems, we, we shouldn't try to do it alone. We shouldn't try to do it ourselves. And so uh, I don't know if you're like me, but when I come across a problem in my own life, like I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And so I turn inward and like I become, I put on the hat of self-sufficiency and I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. But if I have a problem in life and I'm trying to figure it out on my own, if I could do that, I would have already done it, right? And so sometimes when that self-sufficiency sets in, what we're doing is we're like, we're looking for a source of connection or source of power and we plug in to ourselves. And Brad uses this illustration all the time. And I think it's so good because this is silly, right? This does, like, this isn't going to do anything. I could plug anything into this. It's not going to do anything. We aren't to do life on our own. And for me, this is how I live so much of life. So I shouldn't try to overcome an emotional problem without, without uh, grace, truth, and time. And we're not to do life on our own. The third is, was this idea of boundaries. This third sermon, uh, Brad talked about this idea of boundaries and that we shouldn't allow other people to control us. And so Brad used the example of calling me on the phone, right, to ask me if I would preach today. And there are ways that I could have said yes that weren't wholehearted yeses, right? I might have said yes because I felt guilty saying no. And for some of you, you say yes to things that you don't want to say yes to because you feel guilty if you'll say no. Or I might have said yes because I didn't want Brad to be like to be disappointed in me or to disapprove of me. So I could have said yes that way. But boundaries says I'm not going to allow that to control me. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to let my yes be yes and my no be no. And part of setting boundaries is this like freedom and of the truth that no is a complete sentence. I can say no and not have to explain why I'm saying no. That there are boundaries. Working through these emotional problems, boundaries are important. And last week, Brad uh, walked through this idea that we must process our pain. That we can't simply ignore it. Or we can, but that leads to consequences, right? Our pain is either going to be transformed or it's going to be transmitted, so you think about like the pain that you have, if you're not working on, on allowing God to transform that pain, you are def- by default transmitting it to your spouse or to your kids or to your coworkers or to your friends, whatever the case might be. We must process our pain because it's either going to be transformed or it's going to be transmitted. So I wonder like, what's the truth for you 
um, from this series so far that like you need to settle in and internalize and really allow yourself to know. Uh, for me, it's that time aspect uh, that, that overcoming the emotional challenges and the pain that we encounter from day to day takes time and it's okay that it takes time. I mentioned I was excited when Brad reached out to ask if I would preach. I was actually sitting in my office at Lighthouse and uh, frankly, I was eating Sour Patch Kids and enjoying my favorite beverage, which is a Dr. Pepper, um, which really isn't that uncommon. Brad could have called me like really just about any time and there's a good chance I was eating Sour Patch Kids and drinking Dr. Pepper because that's just who I am. Like I'm a 12-year-old at heart I'm the person that like, if my food is touching, I'm not going to eat it, right? Because food shouldn't touch. And my favorite flavor of ice cream is cotton candy. Uh, and if they don't have cotton candy, I'm going for the Superman flavor, right? Whatever a 12-year-old would like, I would like as well. So he called me and he said, hey, would you like to preach? And I'm eating my Sour Patch Kids. And I said, uh, yeah, maybe. What's the topic? And he replied and said, how to become an adult. And I looked at my desk and I thought, You've, you might have the wrong person here, <laughs> right? But it made me think, like, do you remember when you were 12? Remember what it was like to be 12 years old? Uh, when I was 12 years old, it was 1988. I was in seventh grade. I had like a spike haircut and then short on the sides and long in the back. Some of you might call that a mullet. Um, <laughs> Somebody from the earlier service said, why didn't you put a picture of yourself up in seventh grade? And I said, well, did I, the mullet, like I mentioned the mullet, why would I put that up, right? But I had, that, I had that haircut and I had like the stonewashed denim jeans, you know, and they were French rolled. And if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. Some of you are nodding because you're about my age. You know what that was like too. Uh, and I, I was waiting for my growth spurt that like, frankly, never came, right? That was 12 years old. And I remember being 12, like when I think back on that and I think back like, okay, what did 12-year-old me think being, being an adult was? What did 12-year-old me think being, becoming an adult meant? What did that look like? As I thought about that, I think like 12-year-old me probably figured adulthood was, tw- was three, one of three, fi- well, three, three different things. First of all, being an adult meant that you had life all figured out right? That, like you kind of knew how the world worked. You knew what to do when challenges arose, like you would know how to handle them. So being adult meant like you had life mostly figured out. Uh, being an adult meant that you were independent and that you didn't need anybody, right? Like I can do life on my own. I don't need anybody else. And closely tied to that is the third thing that I, th- I thought made up being an adult was that I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted, Right? I would enjoy the freedom of nobody telling me no. I would enjoy the freedom of I can have Sour Patch Kids and Dr. Pepper anytime I want. Right, that That's what being an adult was. But I'm 45 now, and here's what I'm learning. As an adult, life is far more complicated than I ever thought it could be. And not only do I not have life figured out now, I'm learning and becoming more and more confident that I'm never going to have it completely figured out. As an adult, I'm learning that I can't do life on my own and that when I try to, like it causes me pain and the people around me pain as well. And closely tied to that is that as an adult, 
doing whatever I want comes at great cost to me often. And not only me, but it causes pain for the people around me. I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking as, as children, we live in ignorance and as adult, we live in brokenness. Does anybody relate to that? As a child, I lived in ignorance. I just didn't know. But as an adult, I live in brokenness. And so we've all, like, if we've lived life at all, we've been hurt by others, right? People that we loved the most have hurt us. They've let us down, sometimes passively, sometimes actively. And as adults, we begin to recognize that we've caused great pain to others, We've made decisions that have, that have hurt the people that we love the most as well. And so as a result of like all of the pain that all of us experience from day to day and in different seasons of our life, I think for a lot of us, adulthood comes down to this, that we are living our lives constantly, even desperately striving to reconcile all things unto ourselves. Much of adulthood for many of us is us doing the work, like doing the hustle, striving like at an exhausting pace to reconcile all things unto ourselves. And we do this in one of two ways. The first is that we try to be God. We recognize that there's a world around us that is broken, that, that can cause us pain. There are other people that can cause us pain. And so what we decide is like, I'm just going to try to control everything around me. That if I could just gain control, if I could hold tightly to, to not only my life, but to the lives of others and to the circumstances around me, if I could just get that under control, I would be protected. But for those of us that have tried that, first of all, we know it's exhausting because there are things outside of ourselves that we don't have control over. And the truth of the matter is that when we try to control things outside of our control, we lose control of ourselves. When I try to control things outside of my control, and this is a constant temptation for me, I lose control of myself. Another way that we can play God is just through self-righteousness and arrogance. I think you see this in the culture around us all the time. I could invite you all to take out your phones right now and within 15 seconds, you could find uh, this self-righteousness showing up. Uh, we live in a culture that we call the cancel culture, right? Just high, high, high judgment. And we think if I can condemn others that I might find justification, and well, why is everybody running around canceling one another and, and like just being so ugly and judgmental? Well, it's because it's this idea of like, I can find justification through the condemnation of others. And then the truth of the matter is that justification is never born out of condemnation. We can never justify ourselves, make ourselves right by making other people wrong. The truth of the matter is that as we like strive towards this or we like do the work to try to control all the things around us, uh, we begin to realize that in doing so, we become less of ourselves. And trying to become like God, we become less of ourselves. And this shouldn't surprise us because it was the original sin, right? We're just repeating the sin of Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve fell into the temptation that they could be like God. And in their pursuit of that, of that, they lost sight of themselves. They lost who they were. And they found themselves in need of redemption and restoration. It's just exhausting, isn't it? Right? I mean, at the, at the end of your day, like think about the end of your typical day. Do you not just go home just absolutely exhausted if you're trying to live that way? I mean, I do. And the thing is, is it's not like the good exhaustion of like good work. It's like the exhaustion of defeat. Like I, I just can't, like I can't do it. I can't do this. And then I wake up the next morning and just attempt the same thing, right? It's just exhausting. And if we're not trying to make ourselves God, some of us go like a different route. We realize like, I'm not self-sufficient. I can't figure this out. So we like seek to make somebody else or something else God. And for some of us, like we idealize our parents or, or like another way to say that is we idolize them. Like we assume our parents are perfect. We need them to be perfect, right? So that they can tell us that we're okay. Or we seek out a spouse who can like somehow make us whole or fulfill us. Or there's a boss that, or a friend or whatever the case might be. Like just if they can be perfect, like maybe they can make me whole. And so we serve them as God. And for some of us, we figured out, well, people can't do that. So like maybe something can. And so like if I could just get enough money like then maybe I would feel whole and complete and there wouldn't be any pain. Or if I could just get that position, right? Or if I could just get that house or if I could just get that knowledge or if I could just get enough power to fill in the blank. And it's just never enough. And the truth of the matter is there's two things at play here. Number one, you're likely never going to be good enough to earn the approval that you're seeking, and number two, the person that you're seeking that approval for isn't good or powerful enough to give it in the way that's going to be fulfilling. And so just like trying to be God is exhausting, trying to, trying to serve someone or something else who isn't God as a God is going to be equally exhausting. And so some of us live our, our lives, live our days. We come home from work or from whatever and we're just exhausted because we're just desperately trying to earn approval from others. And we're not getting it. And let me let you in on a secret. Part of the reason why you're not getting it is because they're just as broken as you are, right? And they may be seeking your approval. And it's like, it just, it, it will never come. All, both of these ways of living, like trying to be God ourselves is going to lead to self-disappointment because you're going to let yourself down or it's going to lead to disappointment in others because they are going to lead, let you down. And the reason for that is because there's only one who has earned the right to name you. There's only one who's earned the right to give you approval. There's only one who's earned the right to make you whole and to heal you. And that person's Jesus. In Colossians chapter one, Paul writes this. Paul says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The him that he's talking about here is Jesus. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile himself, through him 
to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Because we just sang the sermon like 10 minutes ago. You guys sang these words. And I know because I sit there like how quickly we can forget the things that we even just sang and proclaimed together. But that last song that Michael sang, that we sang with him, like that was the sermon. That was the gospel message. We, we sang, I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I'm saved in Jesus' name. That's, that's it right there. There's only one who has the right to name you and they've already named you. The Bible tells us that God knew us in our mother's womb and that God formed us. And God says that, that we, that I, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made before you've even taken a breath, before you've done your very first thing, before you've accomplished your first accomplishment, before you've attained your first goal, before you've displayed any sort of growth, God said you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus is the subject in our story. Jesus is the one driving our story forward. Jesus is the one who reconciles all things to himself. And I think this is why the psalmist says like so much of life is just this relaxing and being still and knowing that God is God. We're responsible to be in charge of ourselves, right? We're responsible for our own self-control for the decisions we make, but that's about it. We're not responsible for the decisions or the choices of the that the people around us make. And we're not responsible for the way the world works, right? God's got that. We're in charge of our own lives. We're responsible for our own self-control, our own decisions. And then we've got to just be still and trust that God has the rest. We've got to put our trust in a God who loves us, who created us in that fearful and wonderful way that God's got us. Henry Cloud is uh, the person whose teaching we've been listening to on Wednesdays as we've been going through this series called Churches That Heal. And in it, and I highlight this because it, it's important for me to hear it and to speak it because it's a challenge for me. But he's, on, one of the, on one of the Wednesdays, he said, the role we must take in life is not only for dependency on God. So the role we must take on life is not only for the dependency that we must uh, place in God, but also against our own self-sufficiency. So for those of you that are like trying to protect yourself, trying to make everything okay, trying to find that approval or that healing or that being blessed and saved and redeemed on your own, we, we have to learn not only to be dependent on God, but to unlearn our own self-sufficiency. And for those of you that are making someone else or something else, God, this is why it's so important to hear that God knew you in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has redeemed you. And that passage we just read in Colossians says it was his good pleasure to do so. God doesn't approach us like when we get it all together, when we get our life all cleaned up, when we quit making mistakes, when we finally arrive at a place of perfection or arrival or whatever you want to call it. God, in his good pleasure, 
approaches us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our need for him. And he alone has the right to name us. There's great freedom in that because it means not only do other people not have the right to name you, but you don't have the right to name yourself either. And I think about all the ways that I beat myself up, right? Because of my own failures. And I think I'm not good enough. I don't know how, or I'm not equipped or whatever. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't even have the right to say that about yourself. You are loved and you are redeemed and you are blessed and you are filled with my power. Man, like gosh, when I think about this, it's like, uh, like this is breath, right? It is life. Like, oh man, like doesn't that just feel so good? All the striving, all the working, all the exhaustion, all like everything we pour into getting that approval, we've already got it. See, when we, when we get this right, we're able to rest, right? We're able to like relax and breathe. When we get this right, we're able to find freedom in life. When we get this right, we're able to actually live, like genuinely live. When we get this right, like we can live with the spirit of adventure. We no longer have to live with the fear of failure because God's already counted us as good enough. God's already counted us as loved. And so if we fail, like it's okay. God's got us. And live with the spirit of adventure. When we get this right, we can begin to serve others and we can do so genuinely, right? When we get this right, when Brad calls and asks if I would step up and preach, I can say yes. And it's not because I'm trying to earn his approval or your approval. It's because like I want to do it. God's compelling me to do it. When we get this right, we can genuinely serve others. This is what it means to be a church that heals, that we've got this in order. So I shared with you like what I thought being an adult looked like when I was 12. I shared you what I'm learning adulthood really feels like as a 45-year-old. But let me ask this. What if, an, what if being an adult really meant this? What if being an adult really meant that it's okay that I realize that I don't have life figured out? What if being a, an adult is just confessing that? I don't have life all figured out and I may never. What if being an adult meant that we were interdependent, not dependent on one another, but we were interdependent, that we were doing life together, that I recognize that I am a broken person that needs God's love and so are you. That we get to do this life together and, and we're on the same page, the same level. And what if being an adult is finding the freedom to enjoy the thrill of serving others? I think about like uh, Brad and the staff were saying like we need help in the children's ministry or we need help greeting or there's just different needs, different ways for us to serve the community. And I know the tendency is for us to think like we're not qualified. Gosh, if you knew what my week looked like or how chaotic my life was or whatever, fill in the blank, like I wouldn't be qualified, right? But what if, what if not knowing and being broken is the very thing that qualifies us to serve? What if being broken and not knowing, not having life all figured out is the very thing that qualifies us to be the church? What if not knowing and not feeling qualified, not having life all figured out is the very thing that allows us 
to shine the brightest. I think about like, I can make this like very granule. Like in your relationship with your spouse, what if what your spouse really needs is not your perfection, but your presence? For you to be honest, like I don't have this all figured out and I know I make mistakes and I know I hurt you and I'm sorry about that. And I know you make mistakes and hurt me that, and like that's coming out of the brokenness, not intention. Or I think about like for me with my kids, Right? Like, I want to be the best dad that I can be. But when I'm striving to be a perfect dad, I can't be present with my kids. And the truth of the matter is, my kids know I'm not perfect. They see it every day, right? And if I'm trying to be the perfect father and I'm striving after that without the humility of recognizing my own pain or brokenness, my kids are looking up to that and thinking that's the way life is supposed to be lived. And what I'm preparing them for is a life of striving towards that same perfection and getting in the same rat race that we are all so exhausted from. So what does it look like if when I make a mistake with my kids, I say, you know what, Ethan, Caleb, Will, I didn't handle that well. Like my anger showed up in a way that it shouldn't have and I'm sorry. Like I'm I'm not perfect and I make mistakes. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm sorry. Man, like, that creates connection, right? That creates presence. And in some ways, like within those mistakes, like the best modeling, the best teaching takes place. What if it's in my brokenness that I'm most qualified to parent my kids? Jesus is wrapping up his ministry in the gospel of John. And uh, I love the gospel of John because it's got like these long stretches of Jesus's teachings and they're like really good. And um, at the end of the gospel of John, he's speaking to his disciples not long before he's headed to the cross. So he's kind of giving them really his final discourse, his final instructions. And in the midst of that, Jesus speaks these words in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then he gives two promises. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. What does it mean to be a church that heals? It doesn't mean that we have it all together. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we like have the slickest worship and the best production and the best building and all of those sorts of things. It it doesn't mean that we're perfect and we have life all figured out. It means to be a church that heals, to be a healing church is that we're staying connected to Jesus. That's it. He's got the rest. And Jesus promises us that if we'll do just that one simple thing that honestly is like a really relaxing, restful sort of thing, that we'll bear much fruit. And all the striving that we do and all the like super effort that we put, like Jesus just calling us back to him, just rest in me and you will bear much fruit. And then the second promise is, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so all that working and all that striving that's making you so exhausted shouldn't surprise us because Jesus says that's how it's going to work. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's pull this all the way back to the first Sunday, to the first message that we um, looked at together. And it was this idea that in order to grow or in order to work through emotional problems, three things need to be in place, grace, truth, and time. So here's the truth. The truth is we are not God 
And our attempts to be God or make other, others God always leads to suffering. The truth is, you're not God, I'm not God. And our attempts to be God always lead to suffering. And here's the grace, which is, I love this. The grace is that we serve a father that runs toward us. Jesus tells the parable, right, of the prodigal son who thinks like, I can do life on my own. It's the self-sufficiency thing. I can be God. I don't need anybody else. And so he takes off, right? And it doesn't go well. He ends up like at the lowest of low, like with the pigs eating their slop. And when Jesus tells the story, he doesn't say, hey, the prodigal like got himself washed off and like washed off all the smell and all the stink that was on him. No, it says that he immediately began to head home immediately without doing any of those things. And the father doesn't like see the son approaching and think, whoa, he's kind of smelly, but I'm kind of glad he's home, right? The father runs down the road to embrace his son. That's the grace. You don't have to walk in these doors having life all figured out to be a part of the church. In fact, that kind of disqualifies you for being a part of the church. Walking in in your brokenness, owning like, I need God. That's what it's all about. That's what it means to be a church that heals. So if we want to grow or change or we want to see the world grow or change, it's not going to be according to our goodness and love, but according to his. And if we want to be a church that heals, that's what we need to stay attached to. So let me get really, um, really simple here. And we're going to, I'm just going to like make the application really easy. There's three things that we can do on a daily basis to help us do this. And the first is confession. And in confession, just say, I am broken and I'm not perfect. Which is something that's really difficult for us to say. None of us want to admit that. So we're going to practice it this morning. We're gonna get really awkward here. But find somebody close to you. If your son or daughter is here, I would encourage you to turn and say this to them. If they're not here, find a spouse or a friend or whatever. And just turn to them and say, I'm broken and I'm not perfect. All right, good. There's like a lot of awkward smiles, right? But like how much freedom is there in that? Like, I'm broken and I'm not perfect. And guess what? Neither is the other person, right? We're in this together. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. There's great freedom in that. So confession. The second is to know God's character. Like, we may be broken and not perfect, but we're deeply loved because we serve a God who is a God of love. We are deeply loved. So turn to your neighbor and say, I am deeply loved, and so are you. Yeah, how good does that feel, right? Because to be a church that heals, like, it's that simple. That's it right there, those two things. We are broken and not perfect, and we are deeply loved. And so are you. So is the community around us. And we, like, we know they're not perfect either, right? When we confess that, we know we don't have to tell the person next to us that they're not perfect. They know, but we get to tell them like, yeah, but I'm deeply loved and so are you. That's what it means to be a church that heals. It's that simple. 
to also like for us to be prayerfully asking God to continually fill us with his love and with his grace, that it would overflow not only in our lives, but into the lives of those around us. And then to repeat those three steps over and over and over again, because we need it every day, don't we? Confess, I'm not perfect, I'm broken, right? But I'm deeply loved. God, fill me with your love so much that it overflows in the lives around me. And then we just repeat that over and over again. So I mentioned grace. I mentioned truth. Does anybody remember what the third was? Time. And this one, like, I love this one. This one's the one that's so, like, has been so transformational for me through this series. And I'm hoping, like, gives you the freedom to go out and live this out without beating yourself up. Time. What we see as the process of reaching a particular end, God sees as the goal itself. There is no there. You're never going to have all the answers. You're never going to have it all together. And God doesn't expect that of us. God's greatest desire is that we would trust and rely on him. So what we see, what I tend to see is only the process of reaching some end. God sees as the goal itself because I'm learning how to depend on him. One of my favorite devotionals is by a guy named Oswald Chambers. Um, It's called My Utmost for His Highest. And every day I read that devotional, my ego is like, challenged would be an understatement. Like it's a knife through my ego. It's, It's so good. My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. There's a particular day in July. I think it's like July 23rd. I can't remember for sure. But in my copy of that devotional, that page is like, folded. It's dirty. It kind of has like my spiritual and emotional blood on it, right? Because I keep going back to it over and over and over again. And in there, Chambers says these words. He says, if I can stay calm, faithful, and unconfused while in the middle of the turmoil of life, the goal of the purpose of God is being accomplished in me. It's not that the goal of the purposes of God has been accomplished in me. It's being accomplished in me. Because what we see is the process, God sees as the goal itself. So as we're working to become a person that is being healed and that is offering healing to others, as we're seeking to be a church that heals, it takes time. And if we're on the process, the, the purposes of the, of the goal of God are being accomplished in us. I hope like as we close out the series that you're able to just rest in that. The series has given you breath and given you life and given you permission to go out and live and to love the world around us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are, that you're a God of love. God, we confess that we are broken, that we're far from perfect, but we're so thankful that you love us. God, I pray that you would fill us with with compassion and kindness for the ones you've created. And Father, that includes us. God, that I would be filled with compassion and kindness for myself. God, that each person in this room would be filled with compassion and kindness for themselves because you've created them. They are God's children, just like every, everybody else is. And God, that is, as we extend that, as we extend your compassion and kindness to ourselves, God, that we would be so overwhelmed with it that it would flow into the lives of others. And the words we say, and the, the actions that we take, and God, just simply in our presence alone, that they would feel that, that, that love and compassion, God, that we 
would be brought together, unified in your love, to be a church that offers healing in this community. Lord, we pray this in your name. You have been listening to sermon audio from Good News Church in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. We have Sunday services at 815, 930, and 11. If you are interested in finding more information on our church or ways to get further involved, visit goodnewschurch.life. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you soon.